back, learning more about the Christian life, who God is, and things like that. So remember what I always remind ourselves when this new class started with the curriculum, just let's pray for the kids and the teachers back there that they would continue to learn and grow in their faith journey. So am I getting feedback up here? Is is that okay now? I don't hear it anymore, so maybe I'm good. Do I have to move this or no? No? Okay. You know, technology... Sometimes we like it, sometimes we don't like it, so we got to get through it sometimes. But um, I forgot to welcome earlier the online viewers. I'm always glad that you're on there and uh, your comments, so welcome to those online viewers today. I'm so glad that you've joined us um, today on this wonderful Lord's Day. And I'm going to pray for us as we... um, before we get into God's Word, the Gospel of Mark. But coming from a meal, the Lord's Supper together, um, I forgot to make an announcement, but this transition is so beautiful, though. If you want to provide a meal for the youth one Sunday, about 20 people, you can see Tony and we can, you can sign up for that if you want to provide a meal for the youth um, after service. So coming from a meal together, So if you want to provide a meal for the youth, I thought that was a good transition because I forgot to say it earlier. Um, So see Tony if you would like to do that. Um, The youth are always, uh, we we have youth group every Sunday now, um, or most Sundays, so I'm sure they would love a meal from somebody. Um, So if you want to, please see Tony. And before we get into the Gospel of Mark, I want to pray for us as we Learned in Sunday school this morning, the Word of God is living and active. So let's remember that as we go to the Gospel of Mark. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for this time that we could come on Sunday morning to worship your name through song, through remembering Jesus and the sacrifice he made for us. And now as we come to the Word of God, help us to Seek you above everything else. Please provide wisdom to understand what the Gospel of Mark is conveying to the hearers, us today. I also pray for um, this upcoming time of elders and deacons and the nominations that are coming in and the class with Keith, Keith Wise coming up. I pray that the elders and deacons, that we would understand the roles that we have and understand um, how to help the church family be spiritually healthy. So help us to um, seek you and wisdom from you on the leadership you want for Ferris. So thank you for the elders and deacons that are currently serving. Please continue to bless them and guide them in their work and ministry here. And as we come to the Gospel of Mark, I pray that we would maybe see something different about fasting and Sabbath and hopefully seek you amidst it and to follow what you want us to do moving forward in life. I pray that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds and that the Holy Spirit would be with us as we are learning together. In Jesus' name, amen. So the Gospel of Mark, remember it started out the beginning 
of the good news of who? Jesus. We just celebrated and remembered Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And Mark's going to give us, remember, a go, go, go gospel. Jesus seems to be on the move all the time and seems to be doing things all the time. And we're learning from Jesus and his disciples and how we can live our lives more fully for God's kingdom here on earth and furthering the work of God's kingdom. A couple weeks ago, I was listening to a teacher teach from the Gospel of Mark. And he said this, I agree with him in a way, but I want to help you understand what I'm doing with the Gospel of Mark. But the teacher said this, the parallel passages need to be read in the synoptics, Luke and Matthew, to get the full picture of what's happening in Mark. Upon hearing this, I did understand what the teacher was saying. But if you've been with us in the Gospel of Mark so far, I've stuck to the Gospel of Mark. I haven't brought in Luke or Matthew. And I did that for one reason, because I want to see and experience what the hearers were hearing when they got the Gospel of Mark. They heard only the Gospel of Mark. And we've learned a lot, right, from the Gospel of Mark. We've learned how to imagine ourselves in the story. I think when we lose our imagination, I think life's going to get boring. Do you agree with that? If we lose our imagination, I think life would be boring. And as we read the Gospel of Mark, and I'm sitting at my desk and I'm bringing it to you today, put yourself in the story. Um, Maybe... Pick a character, you're like, I want to be that person in the story and see what I'm seeing and and how Jesus is ministering to people or how I'm hearing Jesus in that time. So as we come to this section, I want you to kind of imagine yourself in the story because it's interesting if you just stick with Mark. Yes, there's a lot of pieces missing, I know that. But it's interesting when you just stick to what Mark is writing and you hear how he's giving the story of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. It's very eye-opening and it's very rewarding when you just look at Mark and say, let me just look at it and study it and apply it to our lives. So today I want to talk about fasting and Sabbath, two topics that I talk very little about or kind of forget about sometimes. And when you come to a passage and it's talking about fasting and Sabbath, what do you have to do? You got to talk about it and you got to learn from it. And I've learned a lot this week and the past couple weeks about especially Sabbath, um, but fasting this week, I've learned a little bit more about that as well. So let us look at Mark chapter two, starting in verse 18. If you haven't turned there already, you can turn there. But remember last week we talked about Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for sinners, us. He healed the paralyzed man. Remember he said your sins are forgiven. Remember he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. He called Levi to follow him. And he came for the sinners, not the righteous. And that's where we pick up our story. Verse 18. I was reminded again this morning. Somebody came up to me and said, I'm excited to be here. So are you excited to come to the Word of God? 
Are you excited? It's going to be challenging. I'm not going to cover everything about fasting and Sabbath, but it's going to kind of get you to this, in the discussion of fasting and Sabbath and to talk about it. So here we go. Are you ready? Verse 18. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came and asked Jesus, How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, How can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So, Jesus is posed with a question. What was the question? How is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting? But Jesus, yours are not. What's going on here? So Jesus answers them, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he's there? And they're hearing this. They're saying, we're fasting our disciples are fasting, but why aren't yours? It's interesting. Fasting, I looked it up, is to abstain as a religious exercise from food and drink. One Bible encyclopedia says, practice self-denial. So the Pharisees and the disciples of the Pharisees and John's disciples were fasting at that time. They were doing a religious activity, correct? Everybody should be nodding their head yes. They're doing a religious activity. That's what they were called to do. Okay? And now, remember, Jesus has called his disciples. Remember, Simon and Andrew and John and James, they, he's called them from the fishing business to fish for people. He's called Levi, the tax collector, to come follow him. And there was many others probably, but they're not fasting. And the religious leaders are like, I don't understand, Jesus. What's going on here? And then Jesus gives them a, a parable-type thing, a teaching, says, how can they do it when the bridegroom is here with them? Who's he talking about? Himself. Now, are they understanding it? The people that are hearing it? Probably not. Who's their bridegroom? God. They understand that. They're, remember the Old Testament, the, the husband of Israel is God, the bridegroom. They know that, but Jesus is saying, how can they do it if I'm here? He's kind of posing it in a question. I, I, I just wish that he would say himself, like, I'm here so they don't have to fast. But he puts it in a question and a, a teaching that makes them think, hopefully. But they don't realize it. Fasting, it is a religious exercise 
One commentator, Walter Wessel, said, John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. In both instances, fasting was a sign of true piety. If you fasted, you were righteous, okay? You were doing it for God. You were doing it to get closer to God. They were not doing a wrong thing. But Jesus says, my disciples are not fasting because the bridegroom's still here. So what does that tell us? The timing of the fasting was not right for the disciples of Jesus. They will fast when the time comes. Okay? They will fast when the time comes. And when is that time? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. So Jesus is basically telling the religious leaders and the disciples that are fasting, John's and the Pharisees, he's saying, my disciples, just wait, they are going to fast when the time is right. This week, I kind of practiced something that I've never practiced before because I I want, it was a comfort thing for me, okay? A cup of coffee at night was comfort. Kids get to bed and I drink my coffee, one cup at night. This week I said, I am going to try not to drink a cup of coffee or eat anything after 8.30 or 9 o'clock. And what did it do? It helped me sleep better. I never realized till this week. I'm not saying that that's something you need to do, but I've practiced something, self-denial this week. And I wanted to bring that to you because when we do something that's against our comfort or against what we always do, and we do it for a reason and say how it goes, maybe good results will come. And that's, I think, what Jesus is trying to get here. They're going to fast one day. You are fasting, disciples of John and disciples of Pharisees and the Pharisees themselves. But something, I think, better is coming, as Jesus is saying, I think. And I believe that. And now, verses 21 and 22 are, uh, when I first read it, it was confusing, Okay? Do you ever get confused when you read Scripture? Nobody does, right? Nobody gets confused. Why is this in here? But I think a main reason why he says this teaching about uh, don't sew old cloth on a new one, don't put new wine in an old, he's basically telling the religious leaders, you can't mix the new with the old, or it'll all be messed up. Jesus, what, is bringing something new. We've seen it. Remember, this is the beginning of the good news of the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Remember, he, John gets put in prison, and what's he doing? Jesus is saying the kingdom is come near. Repent and believe the good news. Jesus is healing people. And then last week, remember, we saw Jesus forgives sins. Who forgives sins but... God. He's bringing something new. He's saying, God is here with you, everybody. It's me, the Messiah, the Son of God. And he's spreading that message of repentance and he's telling these Pharisees and the John's disciples, fasting, yes, it's a good thing, 
But the time will come when my disciples will fast, and that's going to be the right timing. It kind of makes them think about things. So mixing the old and the new, and you'll see it maybe later in Mark. Remember, righteous people think they have it all together, right? Right? Say yes, because righteous people think they, are, they have it together. The Pharisees thought they were good. They had it all together. That's what they thought. But Jesus bringing something new, saying they're going to fast at the proper time. One writer in the, well, whoever came up with the Vines Concise Dictionary of the Bible, there's probably many um, contributors to that, but in the definition of fasting, different gospel texts were given, and here's a sentence that I thought was very encouraging. Some of these passages show that teachers to whom scholars or disciples were attached gave them special instructions as to fasting. Christ taught the need of purity and simplicity of motive. Jesus was a rabbi. He called disciples and He's teaching them. He teaches His disciples something important. He says, they're going to fast at the right time. Now, if Jesus tells the religious leaders they're going to fast at the right time, what do you think His disciples were thinking? Do you think His disciples were thinking anything? Remember, some of them were probably reading the Jewish laws, probably studying it, even as fishermen. They knew the laws. They probably practiced it before. But now Jesus has called them into something new. And they're like, they're probably thinking, oh, we should be fasting. And then they hear Jesus say, they're going to fast at the proper time. It'll come. I just want to know their thoughts. But we can't get into their thoughts because Mark doesn't say it. But can you imagine what the disciples on the sideline are hearing Jesus talk about? And he's like, they're probably like, well, the religious leaders, they're righteous. They're following the law, they're following this, this, and this. they're doing everything. But Jesus is like, don't talk about my disciples, they're going to fast. Don't worry. So fasting, very, I don't think about it much, to be honest. I'm not going to show of hands, but you can think about it. Do you ever think about fasting often? I don't. But this week I had to dig into the mind and dig into the meditation of it and say, what is fasting? Fasting. The Pharisees fasted twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays, from sun up to sundown. They were commanded to do that twice a week. And this is an interesting thing as well. One writer pointed out, that you don't fast during wedding celebrations. What did Jesus say? Who's still with them? The bridegroom. You weren't supposed to fast at a wedding celebration. And Jesus says, the bridegroom's still here. There's a lot of celebrating still to happen. The time will come when the bridegroom's gone, then you will fast. Kind of an interesting thing to look at. You don't fast during a celebration. 
So fasting. I just hope that this kind of gives you an opportunity to kind of get into the conversation and discussion about fasting and what Jesus talks about. And then we move from fasting to the Sabbath. I want to go back in the classroom and say, anybody have any questions, but we're not going to do that. Because there's a lot of questions. But verse 23, here we go. And we're going to read all the way to chapter 3, verse 6. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and His disciples walked along. As, as His disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to Him, just stop there for a moment. It kind of seems like the Pharisees are like following Jesus. Like, like I'm going to follow somebody and just like, like everything you do, Mike, I'm going to follow you this week. Uh-oh. And I'm going to see if you mess up. Luke, I'm going to see if you mess up. That's what the Pharisees are doing. Would that be like, who's following me at this time? Does that give you an idea of what these Pharisees were like? They're like, Okay, I'm just looking for something. Looking for something that you mess up on and I'm going to say it out loud. And what do they say? They say, the Pharisees said to Jesus, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Pointing something wrong. We don't have people like that today, do we? You did something wrong. You can't do that. I'm just thinking as a kid, you can't do that in church. Mm. Sorry, that was in the back of my mind and I had to get it out. I remember that as a kid. You can't do that at church. And I said, I'm just a kid. I can throw this ball in here. I can run in church. No, I'm just kidding. That was brought up earlier. Man, sorry. I just wanted some laughter today. He answered, Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. He also gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue, And a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. There they are again, just waiting to see if Jesus did something wrong. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? But they remained silent probably for the first time ever. They don't have anything to say. I love that. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. So you see... A Sabbath day comes. And Jesus and His disciples are walking through the grain fields. And what do they do? They're hungry. Okay? They pick a grain. Kind of, I don't know how you do grain, but you kind of roll it and eat it. 
or something like that. Kind of get it out of the grain head or whatever. But they were eating on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, Hey Jesus, I just saw your disciples eat something on the Sabbath. That's unlawful, isn't it? And then he gives the example, Have you never read? Now my first time reading that, I did not understand that phrase. Have you never read? That is an insult to a Pharisee. Because what do they do? They read, 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 memorize, memorize, memorize the law, the books. And Jesus says, have you never read? They're like, we've read everything. And then he gives the example of David and eating the bread. And then he says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says this, so the Son of Man, which is who? Jesus himself, is Lord, even of the Sabbath. And I like that phrase too because it says, even of the Sabbath. He's much more than Lord of the Sabbath, amen? Is he much more than Lord of the Sabbath? It says the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath, but He's much more than that. And the Pharisees don't understand. They're always looking out and seeing Jesus mess up and want to point it out. The Sabbath, Sabbath, Sabbath. The Sabbath in Israelite time, the Israelites were required to abstain from all work. I wonder why fasting and Sabbath are together. You have fasting, which is to abstain from something, food, drink, self-denial. But now you have abstain from work, a Sabbath time. The Hebrew, word mean, the Hebrew root means to desist, cease, rest. They rest from the work. I picked up a book on my shelf. It's called Practicing Our Faith. I've quoted from it before, but the writer on keeping of the Sabbath quotes an economist, which an economist said this, we live in an economy and society that are demanding too much from people. There's always stuff going on. There's always things we can do. Work. If you're at a job, they demand work, right? You have a work to do and you got to do it. Then they demand other things. You got to go sh grocery shopping. You got to do this. Have some fun. You got to go to the golf course, which I do. I like that. But you got to do all these things that might distract you from what? Resting on the Sabbath. The writer goes on, which I thought was very, it was eye opening to me. And. Um, our kids' homeschool curriculum has, uh, we are, we're learning about the Jewish feasts. And one of them is Shabbat, Sabbath, feast and rest. So we, they want you as a family to observe it and see what it's like. And we have, maybe not perfectly, but we have kind of got a glimpse of what the meal and the day was like. And this writer in this 
book says, Shabbat is not just law and liturgy. It is also a shared way of life, a set of activities that becomes second nature, a round of custom and prayer that the youngest child or the oldest invalid can enter, a piece of time that opens space for God. It was ingrained in their culture. It was ingrained in their identity as Jewish people to observe Shabbat, the Sabbath. As a family, we've got a glimpse of it, but not perfectly. But let me tell you, it's restful. I told people earlier, I slept for like four hours yesterday during the day, and it was restful. But the Sabbath day for the Shabbat, you abstain from all work. We didn't drive anywhere. We didn't, we didn't spend money. <laughs> we rested. A shared way of life from the youngest child to the oldest. My last thing from this book, she goes on, the writer. For Christians, every Sunday is Easter Sunday. A time to gather together with song and prayer, to hear the word proclaimed and to recognize Christ in the breaking of the bread. Sunday worship is not just about going to church. It is about taking part in the activity by which God is shaping a new creation. It is a foretaste of the feast to come. Why do we gather on Sundays? Why are we here We're here to worship God. We're here to rest. We're here to forget about the distractions of the world and come in this place and worship together to rest and to learn and grow and to share life together. Emerson Powery, another commentator, said this, speaking of this passage, Jesus does not stop by the synagogue only to have a Sabbath debate. You see in the chapter 3, he, another time Jesus went into the synagogue. So it's a separate day, I think. Another time, a separate week. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a shriveled, a man with a shriveled hand is there. This commentator says, Jesus does not stop by the synagogue only to have a Sabbath debate. Nor does he allow his anger to hinder him from doing good and saving life on the Sabbath. Did you catch that? He goes into the synagogue. He sees the man with the shriveled hand. I remember some of them were watching Jesus to see if he would heal him. Jesus tells this man to stand up. What courage does that man have to stand up in front of everybody? I don't think I would have that much courage. I'd be like, why are you pointing me out, Jesus? But he stands up. And Jesus said, is it lawful? Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or evil? To save life or kill it? And they remained silent. And then verse 5. He looked around at them in, in what? Anger. And deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. He tells the man, stretch out your hand. And it was healed. But he looked around them at anger. This word anger here is a momentary anger. He's angry with them at that moment. 
of the, the, the teachers of the law, the people that are there trying to catch him to see if he's going to heal him. He's angry with them and deeply distressed at their stubborn heart. That tense in the Greek, the deeply distressed, is a continuous tense. What is he deeply distressed at? Their hardened or stubborn hearts. Do we get stubborn? Do we harden our hearts at certain things? Do we say, I know that, but not going to do it today? He's angry with them. At that moment, he says, I'm angry. He didn't say it, but he's angry, and he's deeply distressed, which is a continual tense. Remember, he started his ministry. I just wonder how many times he was just like, oh, they don't get it. I want them to get it. And he's deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. Jesus is in charge of the Sabbath. Not the religious leaders of his day, nor us today. We're not in charge of it. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath, but he is much more than that. And we've talked about that. He's much more than just the Lord of the Sabbath. And we can probably name just keep naming them till midnight, what Jesus is or who Jesus is or what Jesus does. Last week, Jesus forgave the sins of a man. Remember that? The first thing He does, your sins are forgiven, then He heals the man. Jesus is God because only God can forgive sins. God created the world in how many days? Talks about it in Genesis. Six days, right? God created the world in six days and rested on the seventh. I posed the question in Sunday school. Do you ever imagine God resting? What does that look like? And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. And then I thought of this verse. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus, Colossians 1.16. So what does that make Jesus? Jesus is God. The religious leaders don't realize that yet. I hope they do. But it doesn't, they don't do, they don't realize what Jesus is doing or who Jesus is. Maybe even his disciples don't know yet. Fully. They know Jesus is a teacher, but maybe they don't know at this point in Mark who Jesus is fully. So Jesus forgives sins last week. And remember, he's kind of saying, I'll prove it. Get up and walk. Take your mat and go home. And the man does. Here, I think he's doing the same thing. He says, I'll prove I'm Lord of the Sabbath. Stretch out your hand to the man. And what happens? He stretches out his hand. Probably for the first time in a long time. He stretches out his hand. He's completely restored. And then the Pharisees plotted with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. And I think I've said this before. In Jesus' ministry, and even today... There's always going to be opposition 
to the good news of Jesus. We got to fight against opposition. And we got to speak truth. And we got to do what God wants us to do. And Jesus is saying, I've come. I'm bringing something new. And you just don't realize it. So the Sabbath rest. How are we doing on our Sabbath rest? Sometimes I don't do a good job. We fill our days with so much activities and activities and activities and we don't say, I need some rest. But I think we have to remember that rest is important. Not just for our physical health, but for our spiritual health. And how do these two tie together? Fasting and Sabbath? Maybe you have to abstain from something while you're resting from your work. Maybe you say, I'm going to take time to abstain from food or drink that I've always done at this certain time, but now I'm going to do a rest. And you kind of do it at the same time. Maybe. But whatever it looks like for you, I hope this kind of gets you in the discussion of thinking, what is fasting and what is Sabbath? Because, to be honest, before studying Mark, I can't remember the last time I talked about fasting. <laughs> and I can't remember the last time I really thought about Sabbath till a couple weeks ago when we started our homeschool curriculum with our kids. And Jesus is probably a good discussion partner to talk with, right? And he does some incredible things in this passage of Mark letting the religious leaders know hey that hey I'm bringing something different and I think he's calling he doesn't specifically say it but I pose you this that Jesus is saying follow me follow me I'm Lord of the Sabbath but I'm Lord much more than that so if Jesus is telling you to follow Him and you're like, I don't want to right now. Listen to Jesus. Listen to that call that says, hey, you're broken. We're all broken. We're sinners. Remember last week, Jesus came for sinners. He came for sinners and He's a healer. He's a forgiver. And He's the Savior of the world. As invitation, I thought of this song. I had a conversation with the, with the couple on Wednesday and one of the wife's favorite songs was How Great Thou Art. And here's your invitation. Remember, if you need to make a decision whether to accept Jesus as Lord and be baptized and raised to a new life for forgiveness and receive the Holy Spirit as the gift, or you want to make this your church family, do that today. But also, if you just need prayer or something, you're like, I need to do something today. I need to make this decision because it's at my heart. Do it today. But how great thou art. Here's what it says. And if you're comfortable, I'm gonna, after the four verses, I'm going to sing the chorus. If you want to join me, you can. And then we'll pray. O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. 
When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and hear the brook and feel the gentle breeze. And when I think that God, His Son not sparing, sent Him to die, I scarce can take it in. That on the cross, my burden gladly bearing, He bled and died to take away my sin. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for today. Thank you for the gospel writer of Mark and how he has written down the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Jesus is Lord of Jesus is Lord, even of the Sabbath. He's much more than that. I pray that as we continue to learn and grow in the idea of fasting and Sabbath, help us to not... Just leave it here, but also go home and meditate on it. And truly think of ways that fasting and Sabbath can help us, not just physically, but spiritually. I pray today as we seek your face, that we would look to you for wisdom and guidance in all areas of our life. And if there's someone here today that says, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. I pray that they would do that today. Help us to come alongside of people that are broken and hurt and encourage them with the good news of Jesus. Thank you for today. Thank you for just the opportunity to gather as a family in this place and those online as well. Thank you for family. We pray this in Jesus' wonderful, powerful name. Amen. Stand and join.